Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the plate, swing away, or you get struck out Pitch you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the plate, swing away, or you get struck out Pitch you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Be on the dugout be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Well, Kyoto Katoa, and it's great to be back. Yes, that's right, baby. We are back. Be on the dugout podcast, your podcast, back on air again, my friend Damien Collins, as ever. Brother, we back. We back. It's about time, my bro. It's about time. Just seven months vacation. Just a little break. Been to the Bahamas, Tonga, <laughs> Fiji. Oh, that's right. Couldn't even get out of the country. Yeah, you didn't take me to any of these places. Um, but yeah, no, I wish. I, I've been there in spirit as well, mate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool, man. What have you been up to the last seven months? It's like I haven't seen you. Wow. I mean, when do we stop? We stopped Christmas. Yeah. So what we had? Uh, we had. Mate, we had nationals around that time. Yep. You know, we got we got pretty busy with um with uh, various duties there. I mean, a bit of our commentating was a bit bit thrown to the side with uh, COVID, but um, I managed to manage a a Hutt Valley team. Yeah. I did. Yeah, you, sure um, did. You, you threw me under the bus with the commentary when I made the tournament team and my flip flops. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, got a new job, mate. Um, back playing rugby, got a tr- few trophies from my season just been. So, yeah, no, last seven months has been good to me, my bro. What about you? Very cool. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a great time. You did right. Softball kind of took over in the back end after Christmas, um, and of course, uh, it's footy season now, uh, type thing. So you know, enjoying the kids, and plus, uh, kind of business wise for me, it's kind of ramped up a little bit. So I've been really, really busy. However, beyond the dugout, it's always been in the heart, in our minds, and and the famous words from Don Culleon, man. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Chopper, let's get going again. All right, man, let's do this thing. Absolutely. Dude, season one, uh, Beyond the Dugout, what a treat. Of course, we had Lala, B-Man, and all the other legendary uh, in- interviews. For you, bro, what was season one like? Season one was awesome, man. Like, um, you know, you know a lot of these people. You've, if not grown up around them, you've played a lot of senior ball with them or against them, whereas... Me, um, in my sports journalist career, I've I've still been a fanboy of everything, you know, whether it be rugby, basketball, and especially our, our game softball, you know. It, it, it's being back behind the behind a mic um, made me fall in love with the game again, yep. and and doing this podcast, bro. If I, it, I mean, can I just drop it in? You're allowed Jesus. to, right? Yeah, well, it's our podcast, yeah. God damn it. Um, so, no, it, it, it made me fall in love with the game even more, man. And um, really, uh, you know, it was a complete honour to sit down with these legends. A lot of them, even in my house, 
Um, and then you yeah, know, Mark the, Sorensen, Superman T-shirt on. Yeah, flew into the house yeah. in his Superman T-shirt. Oh, Brutus, Thomas Mark, sitting, yeah, sitting, oh, most mate, recent and, uh, WBSC Hall of Famer. Yeah, wasn't he wearing um, a New South Wales Blues top? Um, <laughs> you can say what you like. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. you're cool this uh, year, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like I mean, even sitting down for the few hours after the podcast, yeah. they edited it, mate. It just made me love the game even more, and I didn't think I could. And now I, you know, now I'm lucky enough to have a job in the sport. Um, but um, to bring back the love of this, mate, and share the word of our awesome personalities, um, yeah, no, I'm excited to do it again. What about you, bro? What was season one oh, like for you? I loved it. Of course, you know, we, we had we had the who's who when it comes to softball New Zealand. We had the CEO, Tony Giles, yeah, on, exactly. uh, Nathan Nukunuku, you know, most capped yeah, player mate. ever. Um, but the we, outspoken yeah, uh, Nathan Nukunuku. I, I like that, <laughs> that about Nate. To be honest, I love, love it, bro. Yeah. I love it. Uh, and then, of course, we did the Olympics run. We got to 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 interview the girls from Italy, Pian Castelli, absolutely, and, 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 and you know, Australians and stuff. You know, for me, that was I really enjoyed that touching that international side. One, I think that kind of draws on my strings a little bit outside of B Man, of course, uh, is Donny Howes. When yeah. we did it, his was more like a "This Is Your Life" uh, yeah, type that thing. Was, where yeah, we brought in cool. a few Roman Gabriel and stuff, and you know that that Cena. was that was cool. Eh? Yeah. Oh yeah, man! To be able to do that and and surprise him—well, not really surprise him because the name would come up before the person would come up. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, I remember when uh, what was it? Rome's came on, and he was like, "Nah, hang up, hang up, get rid of him or something." But no, it's um, it was um, building those connections as well, man. Yeah. Like you know, we might have already known the people, but yeah. to know them even more and. Um, you know, like for me, Lara Andrews, you know, yeah. um, her, her father used to be my coach, her, my rugby coach. And um, so newer would have bought a, a few raffle tickets over the years to help get her overseas in the first place. But um, now, you know, I've got a White Sox hat sitting in my office um, signed by her um, and a newfound connection with her. So uh, it's just a special way, just yeah. special what we're doing and, and special that these people um, gravitated and helped us out do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And saying that, thank you to the boys outside the shoots, uh, Two's Talk, and um, the boys, Hilly and Lolly, you know, for keeping their podcast going uh, in the break. So that's been awesome for them to be do that. Uh, really enjoy it. And congratulations to Outside the Shoot. 101 episodes they're yeah. up to, man. How cool is that? Yeah, boys. That 100 club, mate. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a club I want to be in for sure. This Canadians got nothing to do, man. They just want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. That's awesome, boys. Keep it up. Keep it up, Randy and the lads. Uh, fantastic. Um, this season two for us, make a slight change. Of course, instead of doing a weekly podcast, both of us are really incredibly busy. We're going to run it every fortnight. However, we may chuck in the odd one in between because we both know a big event coming up uh, here in New Zealand later on in the year, Damien. What's that, bro? Nah, jokes. Um, yeah, we're counting down to the World Series, World Cup, whatever yep. it's called these days, I don't know. But, um, mate, the world is going to be on your doorstep in at Rosedale. Um, I've been, I've signed my contract to be a part of it. So um, no, I'm pumped, man. And, um, you know, the last one uh, last one wasn't too good for us, uh, us Kiwis. So hopefully we can do a bit better at home, eh? I think that's the thing that's going to be exciting. Uh, everyone knows internationally on the men's side of the game, uh, it is so close right now. There's like five oh, to seven teams that have a realistic chance of winning. Yeah. Um, and the Black Sox are just one of those five Absolutely. or seven now. Whereas before it was like one of two or three. Yeah. And that's the exciting part about it. So if we win it, boy, oh boy, we have played outside of our, you know, out of our skin. 
Well, I mean, I love sport for the reason where whoever turns up on the day, eh? you know, like anyone's in with a shot. Um, and, you know, no, I'm not that, not that it's a great thing that everyone's catching up to us and rugby and, and softball and stuff. But, um, you know, it, iron sharpens iron, you know, and, and yeah. hopefully it will make us do better because of that. Yeah. Uh, talking about um, iron sharpening iron, the ISCs this year, mm. oh my God, dude, this World Cup year, after the COVID year last year, we hardly anyone got to travel, right? A couple of boys, yeah. This but, year, yeah. they have really ramped up. And uh, um, not just the teams, mm. but the international federations have sent their players yes. to those teams. So now there's, from from my memory, the most international players playing the IC this year in a long, long most Kiwis have gone mm. over this year in a long, long, long time. Uh, it's proving to be an amazing spectacle. I think Holman Twins have got the number one billing at the moment. Oh. Uh, Gremlins are in the two spot. Chiefs are in the three spot. And then a new, brand new team, Bear Bottom, um, they are uh, in the four spot. But that's where Sean Cleary and a whole lot of bunch of the Canadians are gone. So wherever Sean Cleary is, they're a chance. So mm. this year's ISCs, hotly contested. Yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. I know we've got a lot of boys over there. Some yep. first-timers. Tane Mumu's over there for yeah. the first time. Yeah, um, so yeah, no, it's a it's a special event that um, you know doing this podcast has really opened my eyes to how special it is. So yeah, yeah I've been paying attention. And it's really cool to see. Yeah, my pick is the Gremlins. Um, <laughs> uh, Andrew Kirkpatrick, just a legend. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. they've got they've now got um, Josh Pettit joined them. They've got the Mexican pitcher of Villarazo, I think his last name is uh, as well. I think just the for the rounded team, they're mm. the best 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 squad. But you know, you never know on the day, man. Terry can throw a binder. That's it, eh? The same with the twins. I think that's where Mata is, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's anyone's anyone's uh, shot this year. Really Absolutely. Exciting. I'm really happy for the ICs for that. Yeah. Talking about well, the that. world world's opening up again. It's awesome. Yeah, it sure is. Talking yeah. about that, dude. Our first episode in season two here, which is episode thirty-seven, I think it is correctly, uh, is, a, is a legend. Thirty-six, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, is a legend of the IC game. Oh, absolutely! Uh, multiple Hall of Fames. You know, his career is absolutely standout, and um, now he's you know he's given back to the game, and um, we're still talking about him and what he's doing. Um, and world renowns. You know, we've been watching him recently as uh, um, with the with the World Series and, and his coaching role with uh, Texas Longhorns. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Mike White. That's sure right, ladies are. and gentlemen. First time Mike White's been on a podcast and it'll be on Beyond the Dugout here tonight and we're really looking forward to to hosting him here tonight. I mean, like, listen to some of these stats. As you mentioned, 10 IC All-World selections, 10 All-American selections, that's ASA ones, uh, five titles of each, IC and ASA, uh, but he also spread those titles around, around different clubs. <laughs> Uh, he won seven national titles in New Zealand with Mitama. Um, one, one New Zealand club. Yeah, I know he, a couple overseas, but only yep. one New Zealand club. He um, he also was in the Goldhorn Black Sox for thirteen sure years. Wow. Um, there is an asterisk because he then went and played for <laughs> USA afterwards. What a what a British city! He kind of lost his passport or something. I'm not too sure. No, he did. He did. What he did do though, and you'll find out in this podcast, is he opened the door to allow the young up and coming pitcher to have an opportunity. And that was Marty Grant. So Absolutely, an amazing feat from from Mike White uh, to do that. But um, the big thing, and you, you, it's about the perfecto. Oh. You'll find out what that's all about shortly. Indeed. But, um, but his his stuff with the, with the college coaching, mm. unreal. 
arguably, arguably, highest paid New Zealand coach in the world. Surely, arguably, yeah. Like he he would rally using this one he, as well. He, he would rally the the pay packet of the Olympics coach. <laughs> That's how big Mike White is on the uh, softball scene in the USA. Well, we can't get rid of the All Blacks coach because it cost us too much. The way they went against Ireland a couple of weeks ago, dude, maybe we get Mike White to come and coach them as well. I don't know. I didn't mean that. My bad. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I uh, might tell you what, uh, a true treat. You'll find out an amazing career, Mike White. How about we get to him? Absolutely. Let's go. Well, what do you say? There's only one word. It's perfect. That's right. A perfect game for the Golden Homes Black Sox to win a national, oh, sorry, international title. Two of them, two his record. 13 years with the Golden Homes Black Sox. He comes all the way from the USA, but born and bred in Miramar, New Zealand, is Mike White joining us on the couch here at Beyond the Dugout. Kia ora, Mike. Kia ora. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Man, it's so good to see you. Um, Mike, uh, we've chatted a little bit just before we got started here. Uh, obviously, one, everyone knows uh, uh, quite a lot about you now. And if you search Mike White on the internet, it's all coaching. But we want to start from where you started and, and for the especially the softball people in New Zealand, know you as a pitcher and an amazing pitcher and stuff. And uh, I guess if we, we – I suppose the best place to start, though, Damien – as we do here in New Zealand, nor here queer. Where are you from? Oh, actually, I'm, uh, I was born in um, in Wellington, of course, um, but lived in the what they call Vogeltown area, which is like Brooklyn, uh, so in the hills and uh, quite away from Miramar, so to speak. But I uh, went to school at Berenport first, and then went to um, gosh, what's the name of the school up there now? Vogeltown up there way. Um, so. Yeah, born and bred there, then uh, played for the Melrose Club, started off as, as a shortstop. People don't really know that. And then went on to become pitcher as, uh, when I was 13 or 14. Mount Melrose, how far is that from Mutaba? Um, It's not too far away. It's kind of like, in, uh, like uh, I think it's in Strath- uh, Strathford sure. or Strathmore, Strathmore, kind of around that yep. area. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's just a real small suburb. So, softball to start for you, was that a family thing? Yeah, it really was. Uh, my my dad and my mom played. My mom was a catcher. My sister was a pitcher, and so they would throw to each other and they played for the Melrose Club. And it's it's kind of interesting because in the US things are much different here. They're just about one team, a lot about club experience. And so it's kind of neat to have that club experience background and understand how that all works out. But and then my brother played as well, so um, it was really kind of a family thing. And I got into it. And but really, my f- true love was soccer at the time. But I played everything. I think I went to school to play sports. <laughs> you know, my report card always said Michael could do better if he applied himself. So. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Uh, there's nothing wrong with those report cards. Just yeah. say, there's nothing wrong with those report cards. So your sister was the first pitcher in the family. Was that something that you saw? You thought like, mm, I wouldn't mind trying that? No, actually, what, what really brought on the, the fire was watching Kevin Hulahi and Ty Stofflet play each other in 1976. And, you know, a couple of things you remember about that is a streaker jumping over the fence right in front of us. And then we had the, uh, I think, the priest and the flower bombs coming down. <laughs> it was quite the eventful anti-apartheid type thing. Cause all right. I think South Africa was in the in the tournament. Um, and, again, it's all shady. This is 76, so yeah. it's a long time ago. But, yeah. 
Um, but just watching them two hook up, and I think it was a 19 inning game. 21. I think New Zealand had one base runner it was a hit by pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we weren't exactly hitting the ball too well, but I was just mesmerized by how well they were moving the ball around. Wow. How old were you being around that time, Mike? Well, 76, so 14. Yeah. You know, so right about the time I started to catch fire. And um, actually, it was Wayne Nichols. Um, I don't know if you remember that name, but yeah, he was on the national team for a long time. Uh, you know, great soccer player too. Really good guy and great, co- really good with coaching young young kids. Um, he said, "Hey, uh, you know, I have this under fourteen team. You're in the team as a shortstop, but we we don't have a pitcher. Do you want to pitch?" So <laughs> I started winding it over because I was kind of big for my age, uh, and uh, started pitching. And that kind of when I really got a taste for it, I loved getting being in every single play, you know. And so it took off from there. Fantastic. That's where it starts, absolutely. grassroots, right? Yeah, absolutely. 13, get get yeah. the tool kit in there. Yeah, <laughs> the tall 14-year-old. <laughs> uh, indeed. And and so for you, um, junior um, softball, as you came through the ranks, what did that look like? You know, was there many people at the park and stuff? Where was it? Uh, no, not really. I mean, as you know, in New Zealand, um, you know, we played on rugby pitches that weren't used in the, <laughs> you know, in the summer. And um, so it was a bit rough taking ground balls. Yeah. I can remember, I don't know if you've ever seen the Mighty Ducks movie where they yeah. strapped the goalie to the post. <laughs> that was part of us, you know, hitting ground balls at us. It was like you're against the fence and they're just slamming balls at you trying to, hey, you need to make this play. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I can always remember the first dirt diamond. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, here we go. And then they finally had home run fences and I don't know if people remember this, but I think uh, the very first home run we ever hit was Ian Stringer in 1984, out of the park home run. I think it was the first one we ever hit in international softball. Uh, So that was uh, kind of ironic. But, you know, youth softball back then was, um, you know, played in shorts and it was very, you know, 10 players to a team and uh, that was it. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So you you mentioned um, Nichols looking after you from or getting you into the game and the pitching side of things. When when did you think? Well, actually, I'm not going to be too bad at this and like aim for rep honors and things like that. Yeah, it was um, a Curly McCurcher, a Dave McCurcher, another New Zealand rep. He was with the with the Miramar team and he was actually coaching like a major B team or major reserve. I can't remember which one. And uh, he was watching me pitch, and I was actually like the third stringer. But there was a time there where I just went from, you know, just maybe trying to hit the broadside of a barn to, hey, this kid's pretty good. And I was actually, you know, throwing into the Wellington wind and you can make the ball really move in Wellington wind, (laughs) Yeah, you know. (laughs) So you're throwing about 40 mile an hour wind. But um, so, yeah, I just loved it, loved it and just started to catch on and started to experiment with it. And um, I had great mentors in Kevin Henderson and Kevin Hurley and, uh, you know, those people started to kind of ask the questions. Of course, back then it was a big secret. You know, nobody told you anything in case you were going to get too good. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the best moves was actually joining Murmur because there were so many great players, you know, like Peter Pretty, Dan, Dennis Chain, uh, you know, Dave McCurcher, um, you know, Michael Walsh was another big influence. And just the first club to really start thinking about the game other than just getting out there and playing it, you know, there's more to it. Uh, and what I love about softball is always dynamic. It's always changing, uh, you know, given the situation of the game and runners on bases. So I just love that aspect of it. Mike, who were some of the players that were your age group coming up with you at the same time? Well, Mike Nichols was my best friend growing up, and um, he was the one that actually uh, got me over from Melrose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of told, hey, you need to go, you know, because – 
Yeah, at a certain stage, you want to play with your mates and everything else. You don't want to leave it. But sooner or later, you're going to say, you know, you know, am I? I need to challenge myself being around better players. And that was it. And I made that move. And it was probably one of the best moves I made, uh, made I think, as a young person, um, just because of the ability to play in better competition and being around better people. You know, rising tide lifts all boats. And, um, you know, it certainly helped my game and made a big difference. So yeah. Mike Nichols was, was a big one for me. Um, of the, most people know Paul Leonardis, um, you know, just a lot of a lot of young guys that had a lot of fun with the Hutchinsons were fun. Made, made a lot of rep teams, made a lot of cult teams. I was in six six Colts teams, which were the 21 and yeah. others. So I was in there as a young fellow, and it's, it's amazing how you kind of go through and all of a sudden you're the youngest one, then you're the senior one, you know. So uh, it, it was a great experience. I loved playing for, for my province uh, and then, of course, later on New Zealand. Um, the Mitama Club would weird make break it into Premier Softball uh, as well. What age was that? You know, um, I'm trying to trying to remember. I think it was 1978 because I think it was whenever the Nationals were down in Invercargo, right? And I think they really brought me down to wash the uniforms. So <laughs> <laughs> I got I got broken in because I think at the time I I'd had a. I, uh, I, I was injured or something, and I wasn't really playing, so I was ended up being the Washington uniforms and <laughs> taking care of all the guys. Yeah, you know, they treat the youngins back then, you know. Yeah. So oh, it was. Um, I think they call it hazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, you know, I grew up doing the, the little stuff. It's kind of like the book, sweep the sheds, you know. Um, you know, legacy. Uh, that was kind of it. You had to learn your way into it, yeah. and uh, I learned a lot from being in that, and a great experience. Um, so, and then I think my very first, one of the first games I remember was playing against Peterbilt and that might've been 76 or 78. Whenever yeah. Peterbilt toured New Zealand, I actually pitched against them and uh, I gave up one run, uh, against them and it was an unknown run. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that was really kind of like, it kicked the fire in me, you know, to say, Hey, I can be pretty good at this. Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of little moments throughout your career. 76, 78. So how would you, would you, how old would have you been then? Well, I was born in 61, so 15, 16. I mean, wow. I was, I was, I, I, like I said, I had a big jump. Yeah. Like, I wasn't very good at 14. But then between 14 and 16, I made this huge jump with the velocity. I mean, we never measured velocities back there or anything else, but just, um, you know, striking a lot of batters out, you know, um, that was kind of thing, a lot of swings and misses. So, wow. One question I, I want to skip to, and I'll come back to, to where we are right now, is um, from my time watching you play, uh, and my experience of your style of pitching, you, you were never a jumper. Um, was there ever no. a time we ever experienced uh, experimented with that? Well, it was funny because uh, when I was younger, and I was I was dominating people, so to speak. You know, people were calling me illegal pitching because I actually pushed off. You know, right. most back then, if you looked at Kevin Hiller, he stepped off. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't really drive with his legs. So the first thing was getting to drive off. You know, guys like Arn Walford. Kevin Henderson, they started to use their legs and really push up as opposed to step. Mm. And then there became another progression where you started to jump. Yeah. But, you know, when I experimented with jumping and stuff, I found I, need, I didn't have the control. Yeah. And uh, my everything was inconsistent for me. So I think it's a style of pitching that if you grow up doing it, it's going to work for you. But if you don't, it's very difficult to transition to it. The question, because the balances and, and new pitches that take up the game is is exactly what you said, right? Velocity versus control. How did you generate your velocity? I think it was my legs. You know, I played a lot of soccer, ran a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, I was just, uh, you know, just felt good on my legs. I really used my legs a lot, I thought. 
and he could drive off and create a good rhythm. Um, one of the things though, you know, most people don't understand or don't realize is that I uh, had a major uh, arm surgery in like 1987, and I actually changed. Back before that time, I was more of a velocity type pitcher, and I could throw hard. And, and after that time, I had to learn how to use different uh, you know, locations and off speeds, and uh, you know, using different pitches. I became more of a pitcher as opposed to a thrower. Yeah, yeah, I, I did read a little bit about that. What was that injury to your arm, and, and how did you come back from it? Yeah, it was a ruptured bicep tendon. Um, and so um, what happens, you know, if we don't start looking after everything, you know, you get an inflamed tendon, and it runs underneath the pectoralis major muscle, and it frays like a nylon rope. Mm. And so I started to feel that pain, um, but continued to pitch on it because you know how it was in, just, oh, it should be right, mate. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw a bit of ice on it. Yeah. yeah it's all good. Um, so I have another beer. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I went and pitched and then all of a sudden it snapped on me. Wow. And, and that's when I knew something was wrong. And, uh, you know, the, the next day my arm was black and blue, the, all the blood from the, from the tendon and everything. But, so I had surgery, and that was a major shock for me. Is you know, we hear that word surgery, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this is serious, you know. Yeah. Instead of just taking Advil and here we you know, go. But um, so I, I, I was fortunate enough to be in school at the time. I was uh, taking my uh, uh, Bachelor of Arts degree at, at Mount Mercy, and I was able to kind of go to class, and then I'd hit the gym, and it was five, six days a week, and I'd hit the gym, and I worked my way back, and so I had the surgery in like August. And I was back throwing in with New Zealand, uh, in New Zealand with the Pencorp team that January. So wow, in four wow. months, I was able to come back from that major, major arm surgery. So it was kind of like, you know, good luck that I was actually wasn't working full time. I could actually devote a lot of time to rehab. Yeah, and I think that really helped me out. That's the footage that I saw. It was uh, it was Pencorp taking on New Zealand here in here at Fraser Park and. Um, I think Salmon started the game and you were warming up down the line and the commentators mentioned exactly that. Uh, it was great to see oh, that. Yeah. yeah, 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 without a doubt. Man, wow. you got some old footage there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it wasn't black and white. Not that bad, right? Not that bad. <laughs> you know, it's, funny, it's funny you say that. Uh, you know, we, I saw some footage of um, I, I, one of the American guys had it when we played, I think it was comedians at polo grounds. Wow. Uh, and people were lined up sitting on top of the sheds and like it was amazing how I many, but and there's no fences, right? Foul balls would kill people. It's like ten bowling and just knock them over. Yeah, and it was just just and, and you know no one was wearing helmets. It was just it's amazing to see some of that stuff on how we used to play. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the no helmets thing kills me. I don't know how they did that. Anyway, um, mate, you, you you went on with Minamar to win uh, seven national titles. Of course, we, we had Jared Martin on in season one uh, here, and he talked about uh, the 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 chance of him to play at Miramar, to leave Taranaki, you know, the lure of playing with players like yourself was uh, was phenomenal. What was that run like, seven national titles with Miramar? Well, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it was a progression. I mean, the first one, I was kind of like the understudy, you know, and uh, it was, you know, Kimmy Anderson was the man and he was, he was, he was good. Um, and I was, so, I was so blessed to pitch below him. And then, it was a. It was like okay, I want to. I want a piece of this too, you know. And then it was like a battle, and then uh, you know I overtook him, and um, you know, and then I was the person, and then of course you know Marty Hamilton started coming through, and several others, and then Jared. So it was kind of fun to just 
to, to if you look at it, you were, you were the understudy, you were the person doing all the meat work and, and just, you know, picking up the slop games. All of a sudden, you're the ones expected to be out there and carry the team, and then you start passing the torch. And it's kind of fun to see that. And uh, I don't know if that happens much anymore with, you know, people jumping clubs and uh, as much as they are right now, and, and especially in U.S. where it's hired guns and, yeah, you, know, you got people from all over the world type thing. But um, it was definitely a time where that was fun. It was fun to see. It was a lot of camaraderie uh, amongst your teammates. Um, you, you, you tend to hang on to your club because that was a pride thing. In fact, I've only ever really I've only ever played for one club in New Zealand. That's Murma, uh, which I can hang my hat on because it's not the same. I mean, Mark Sorensen joked me to me. He said, "You know, he said, why well, you've had more clubs than Jack Nicklaus you know, in the United States." So it's pretty true. I've had. I think I've been. I've made ten or eleven all world teams. Yeah, all with different different yeah. teams. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's oh. he's kind of right. Close to fourteen clubs, but hey, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's awesome yeah it is awesome i love that stuff yeah uh, to be honest with you like uh, the 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 thing for me uh damien is the one club the yeah, club um and and you are right mike uh and don't get me wrong because there still are athletes here in new zealand that play in their own one club yeah. wayne laulu who we had yeah. uh, you know our opening uh, episode man he's a Miramar boy he's yeah. been there the whole time and you know just take your head off head off to him hasn't won a national title yet uh, wayney yeah so, um, but, but a couple of golds, but loyal, yeah, man, he's done a great job with the Black Sox and hopefully he's there uh, at the end of the year uh, as well. Um, you, you touched on all world uh, playing in the United States. How did that, well, wait a minute, before we get to the United States, you almost didn't go to the United States. We almost never got this Mike White pitching star, did we? Because you touched on earlier, your first love was soccer. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it was it's just a matter of, you know, when I was younger, I played for the Brooklyn Club and we weren't very good and I, I got tired of getting our butts kicked all the time, <laughs> you know. So uh, I ended up going to, to Rongatai College and um, Rongatai College and I tried out for the first 11 and I didn't make it and then, uh, you know, stuck with it and kept playing and then finally I made the, the first team and I was surrounded by guys like Winton Rufa and Billy Harris wow. and Derek Johnson. Wow. And these guys taught me how to play the game before I was a kid that just ran around after the ball. You know, these guys taught me the nuances of the game and how to slow it down and how to, you know, when to attack and when not to attack. What, 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 Um, like what position were you, Mike? What was your time? I was was right back. Gotcha. Yeah. You know what my nickname was? No. Meat axe. He's just going to chop them down. Don't even try to come down this lane. You only got past me once. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's just bad right there. But, but anyhow, so, um, but yeah, so, you know, I really felt I loved the game because, uh, you know, it was just something I loved to do. And um, I was, we, we played in a national secondary schools final up in, uh, against Auckland Grammar. And Auckland Grammar was a big time club back then. And, John Adshead was at the game, who was the current New Zealand national team's coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a phenomenal game. We ended up winning three to one or something. I had a great game. And, uh, you know, so he, he selected myself and Bill, um, Billy Harris to be, to play for the New Zealand B national team. Of course, Winton Roof is on the <laughs> same team. He doesn't get selected, but <laughs> so maybe that was some the selection process and why I got picked. But, but anyhow, I got picked and, and I was just, I trained, I trained and trained and trained and worked really hard for this tour. And then uh, because of a coup in Fiji, it got cancelled. Yeah. Uh, and so at that time, I was I was devastated, you know, because of how hard I'd worked. 
And um, at that same time, Kevin DeHula here was pitching in the U.S. in 79 for the Saginaw Boulders and won the ISC World t- title over there and um, was required to come back to New Zealand to play for New Zealand so he could get selected. Back then there was a, you know, uh, you had to come back and yep. play in New Zealand to sure. be eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said, hey, I've got this kid that may want to be a replacement for me over there. So that's, that's when I got a phone call. And from that time on, uh, I actually, um, in, in 80, uh, I went over and did it. And then I thought, you know, I've got to come back and get a real job. I really thought that was going to be my only trip to the United States. I really didn't see myself as being that good. Yeah. And uh, so I started a career with New Zealand Couriers <laughs> as a management trainee. And yeah. uh, Don, Don, um, oh gosh, Don, uh, he, he was, he was uh, really, he was for the New Zealand cricket team. And right. I can't remember Don's last name, but he was the boss and he hired me. And, uh, and then uh, I remember I was making um, like $2 and 40 cents an hour, a hundred bucks a week, or 120 yeah. bucks a week or something. Yeah. And then, so I stayed there for a year. <laughs> yeah, I started doing that. Then I got the phone call from the States saying, hey, we'll pay you, you know, way a lot more than I was making. Yeah. I said, okay, I'm there. So <laughs> that was that was the end of my career in New Zealand as far as uh, working for a real thing. <laughs> you can take the $2.41 and uh, I'll catch you later. Uh, yeah. uh, um, so get the start in, in the USA. When you first went over, and I know it was a, a year until you went again, what was it like for you? Were the lights bright? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were, but, I mean, I had the fire. I wanted to be, you know, I had this, This, I was brag, you know, I suppose, but I had this ambition. I was wanting to be the best pitcher in the world, uh, you know, and, and that's what I thought I could do uh, and worked hard towards it, and that was just a stepping stone for me. So I never looked at it. I just saw it and I never wasn't overawed for it by it at all. It was just a challenge for me, and that's what I wanted to do was take the challenge and keep pushing myself against the best in the world and the best for playing in the United States and learning from it. Yeah. Um, so that was just – I took it in stride. But put this in perspective. That you're at the age of about 18 at this stage, right? Yeah, 18's the first year I came over. Yeah. H- had you always been a, a person or an athlete that, that thought a lot about the game or, or whatever the code may be? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think that, uh, I think joining Miramar taught me how to think about it. I think joining Rangatai in soccer taught me about it. Like it was, there were things I weren't doing that I, I realized it was just, Hey, work harder instead of really, you got to work smarter. Mm. You know, you've yep. got to, you got to be in the right place at the right time. You got to do things at the right time. Um, and so that's what I learned. I learned how to, to maybe control things a little bit better. I always had that fire within me. I've always been competitive. I think I hate losing more than I like winning. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, and that kind of drove me a lot. But I think the yeah. thinking part of the game came from uh, came from experiences in soccer and softball. That's a great line. I hate losing more than I hate, than I like winning. That's a great great line, Mike. Uh, um, we had Don Tricker on in season one. He had, he mentioned something with his family, uh, and he grew up in an era where they had the salt and pepper. On the table, in the in the kitchen table, and they would talk about things in the game. Was that similar to your type of upbringing with a family of sport? Um, no, not necessarily in my family. Um, you know, I was a young kid that, that was kind of mixed up at times, and uh, I would actually shut down like some teenagers do. You know, I was into my into my own thing, um, and thought my parents didn't know anything. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
So it was really more discussions of people outside my family. Right. Um, you know, the David McCurches. I mean, he was, like I told you, he was like a, a surrogate father for me. He put me in my place. I remember one time I was using too much, uh, too much foul language and he told me, Hey, that's not necessary. You know, you're smarter than that. Um, uh, he, he, he pushed me to be, uh, better in school. Like school certificate was really important. Um, you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college and get a college degree. In fact, the first one to go to seven form actually. So, you know, there's a lot of firsts. I wasn't really from a, um, uh, you know, intellectual type back background with my family. Um, but you know, my dad was always smart. He was great with his hands. So I learned a lot from my dad just by watching him work. And, uh, he was a tailor by trade, uh, you know, and, and so, there's a lot of things you learn in life just by watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you indeed, my friend. Um, so luckily for us, they had the coup in Fiji, and a softball knocked on your door, and 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 we got to keep you, which is fantastic. So after a year off, you go back to the states. Um, from that time onwards, how does the progression of Mike White, the international pitcher, go? Yeah, uh, well, the, the year we went back, we uh, I went back over with Ian Stringer. Ian Stringer, Mike Nichols, and Steve Jackson and myself were all on the same team in Dallas, Fort Worth, which is ironic. We, look where I'm going to finish up probably my career is back in Texas. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like weird stuff, man. Um, so, but that was uh, that was great. We, we were a big club um, in Texas, and um, we had a taste of it. We, we had a really good team. We dominated all year. Then we had a tough loss in the ISC. Um, so they baited us a little bit. But I thought that's when I really started to pick up my velocity and my speed. I came back into New Zealand. I had a really good year at home. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, made the, the 1984 uh, World Series team. And that was another uh, big turning point for me. It was like uh, we were on this mission. We were, we were you know, because I think it was a, like in 1980, it was a, there was a case in New Zealand in earlier of just picking the good old boys. You know, it was like harder to get out of the team than to get in it. Uh, and I don't mean that in any disrespect yeah. to anybody. Yeah, but I hear you. But, but yeah, so, you know, we picked a bunch of uh, young guys uh, with Kevin Hulahi, you know, as our leader kind of thing, and we rallied around it. And, like I said, Mike Nichols and, you know, Mark Sorensen was there as a 16-year-old. And, I mean, Cliff Joseph. I mean, it, was, it was just a whole new style of game that we were playing that New Zealand hadn't seen before. And we're able to knock off the U.S. and um, eventually Canada in the final. So that was just uh, that was huge for I think for New Zealand softball especially. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. That that one, was that in Midland, Michigan. That one. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. That was your first World Cup, right? Yeah, my first World Series. Yeah. Yeah. ISF, yeah. Before I get to that, yeah, of course, I said for the time, when you first got named in the Sox, which was a year earlier, I think, in 1983, what was that That's like? Right. Like, how did you find out? And, and, and what was that yeah, around that time? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I could remember. Um, <laughs> you know, it was so, so, so long ago. But, um, you know, I wasn't, I, I, you know, being, being cocky as I was, I thought I should have made it in 82. But, <laughs> 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 you know, yeah, that's, that, that's not what it was. But, you know, I was pitching well. 83 was a was was good, but I still wasn't the the main the main pitcher then either. You know, and so that's I remember I wanted to be number one in the world, and um, so that that pushed me. Uh, you know, we had some great rivalries over the years. Myself and Steve Jackson. Uh, there was some there was some great great uh, great matchups. You know, Paul McGann, and there were so many great pitchers at the time that I think we pushed each other uh, to be better. 
Um, and, and so, you know, making New Zealand uh, was a very proud moment, especially for my family. My mom was one of my biggest supporters. Um, and uh, I remember her just being over the moon with it. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I've touched on it a few times uh, when talking about you with friends and things like that. Of course, um, something happened in your debut game pitching for New Zealand in Christchurch uh, at a performance which uh, would kind of bookmark your career as well, but we'll get to that later on. But a perfect game in your first game pitching for the Sox? Are you kidding me? Yeah, against some team called ADM. Yeah, which is like the best US team, right? But again, sometimes you know, I, I didn't know much about him, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes being dumb <laughs> doesn't hurt, you know. You don't know how good they are or what they're supposed to be like. Now, it wasn't until later that, you know, later on uh, I had a little comeuppance because they'd figured out how to pick me, yeah. you know. And that was yeah. the first time I ran into people picking pitchers and they had me picked and they'd call my pitches out and it was extremely frustrating. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, and it, it kind of, I didn't know how to handle it, to tell you the truth. Uh, and I, I, did, I didn't perform as well later up because the first one was down in Christchurch, didn't I? I think we played up in Lower Hutt. Right. And uh, I didn't perform very well. I got knocked out of the game. And it was really, it was, you know, it, everything happens for a reason. So yeah. possibly that timing and, and knowing how they did that helped me prepare myself. So I think later on it became one of the tougher pitches to pick. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's one of the things which a lot of the guys that we've spoken with and, and friends of mine, exactly that, especially in the States, they'll just sit there in the dugout and within a couple of pitches, they'll be like, yep, yeah, we got that one, we got that one. And yeah, yeah, that, yeah that that was the thing back in the day, right? Yep, for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, the ride in, in the US, I mean, you've got an amazing career uh, at the ISCs, uh, of, of course. What was it like? I mean, you talked about uh, playing, or, or Brutus talks about you playing for a lot of different clubs. Um, but what was that like? I mean, moving between different clubs or setting up and, and creating creating something great for each one as you go through there. Um, what, what was that like? And to be the hide gun uh, per se. Yeah, well, every place is what you make of it. And, um, you know, but the first time I played for 83, it was um, it was kind of like an all-star club. I was playing out of uh, Bakersfield, California, which is an oil town. It's like, you know, the people have been there. But um, that was kind of like a true American. It was like players from all over, you know, kind of thing. And uh, it was separate. You're like a professional, right? You just yeah. turn up, do your job, and you leave. But then I um I got asked to go to to uh, to Iowa Cedar Rapids Iowa, and that was more of a club based local kind of bunch of guys uh, that had found out about me that I'd stayed over yeah for the winter because I told people that I wanted to stay over and try to go back to school because I figured out that I couldn't keep pitching and you can't eat softballs yeah um, I think you know as, as a, I think Peter Meredith once told me that you can't eat softballs. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and so I looked at some of the other pitchers that of my era, like Brent Stevenson, got a great career at ADM. I mean, you know, he's, he's now almost retired from there. Peter Meredith did a great job picking up different things. And that was kind of like what I wanted to do. Was I wanted to use softball to be able to better myself in yep. my situation, yep. especially for the future. So I thought, hey, let's go back to school, get my, uh, get my uh, marketing and management degree, and eventually own my own business. So um, that's what I decided to do. And a lot of people told me, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. Well, I kind of got this call uh, in November, December, and they said, hey, uh, this is um, Kurt Packingham from Biggertone, Iowa. Uh, do you want, what's going to take to get you out here? 
Let's go. Went through the process. I ended up flying out uh, December. I think it was December thirty first. I think it was twelve inches of snow. Wow. And I'm going from Bakersfield, California, where yeah. it's about ninety, and I'm going, "What am I doing?" <laughs> you know, and it's like it's twelve inches. I've never seen snow before. I'm yeah. from Wellington. You know, um, so it, it was it was a come up, and but it ended up being one of the best moves I ever made because. They were a true team. You know, when, when we got done playing, we were partying together, we were going off, we were doing stuff, talking about softball. We had a bowling league together in the yeah. winter. You know, we'd bowl together, um, you know, and go hunting. It's the first time I got introduced to hunting, pheasants and duck and stuff like that and deer. Um, so they got me into that. So it was, it was more than just you're a hired gun. You know, before I felt like, oh, you just hired for the yeah. your arm and that's it. These guys were actually more interested in me as a friend and building relationships. So that was that was that was pretty cool. Now, then after that, you know, it was more about me trying to get the next step of my career was winning more championships and things like that. So it kind of evolved from that. But I ended up saying, uh, you know, I moved to Aurora for a couple of years, then went to um, to, to Sioux City, Iowa, mm-hmm. where I stayed for about thirteen years. Opened up my own business called Play Against Sports, was a franchise. Had three daughters, and then eventually. I uh, decided to get into coaching, and then I moved out to Oregon for another 13, 14 years, and now I'm at Texas. Well, we're definitely going to get to the coaching uh, in a second because I mean, that, that whole thing, we could do a whole podcast in itself, to be fair. But so cool. the, the mate, through your time through the ICs, and I don't want to skip through it, mate, because there's a reason why you're in like eight Hall of Fames. Uh, <laughs> it, but you pick up five uh, world club titles at the ICs, five ASAs on your way through, 10 all-time world selections, 10 All-American selections. I mean, that in itself is an amazing, amazing feat. Well, it just means I've pitched a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I had some good catches and some good headers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, there's another stat here is that you've got the uh, most winningness uh, in history at the ICs. 70 career wins, five no-hitters, three perfect games. I mean, that's phenomenal. I have, I have a couple of questions here from, uh, from a friend of ours. Um, and if I stick with the IC side of things, and he's, he asked a question, uh, the 2002 ICs, you and Doug Middleton carried St. Joe's to a championship. How special was that win with an underdog team? Yeah, well, it kind of reminded me of the first one we had with Teleconnect because, um, you know, they did a, like a series, a week-long series up in Saskatoon, Canada, but we weren't mentioned until the last day. <laughs> so it's like, you know, but that's, that's fine. That's cool, you know. But I also, I think I threw five shutouts there, so you know, I've never lost a shutout. So, but you know, getting on to the to the Middleton one, that was great because again, that was a local based team with a bunch of local guys with what I think was probably one of the lowest budgets ever. I mean, I think we may have had a budget of thirty or forty thousand for a for a major team. Yeah, you know that the farm and them are spending a couple hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand. Um, so that was special. Um, and, and again, just to see some emerging players like Chris Novjavic. You know, some of these young guys coming out. I mean, he ended up being the leading hitter of the tournament, I think. And we had a, a, a guy who no one knows make this unbelievable catch in center field to save a game against uh, the Farm Tavern. But we played the best of the best that, that tournament. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, between myself and Doug, we were, like, just beating off each other, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd pitch a game and he'd come out and he'd pitch a great game. And then I'd go and pitch a game and, they had, I remember they had this uh, massage tent or this uh, physiotherapist tent in the outfield uh, at, at the Canadians, you know, 
me and him were visiting in that office. All right. <laughs> you know, I say they were the MVPs of the tournament yeah. because I've never been treated that way before. And these guys, oh, I wish I had kept this number because they kept us in shape as a bunch of 40-year-olds. Yeah. They they made me feel like I was 25. It was amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. Mate, when you look back across that IC career and all of those titles and uh, all-world nom- um achievements what are some of the highlights uh, for Mike White well I think definitely that first one uh, with, with that team um, you know being an underdog and, and not um, having you know expected to win it that was that was that was tremendous that was um, a bunch of goals. Like I said we were all friends um, I can remember you know one of the big things about the ISC is I as a player was trying to win to get a day off yeah right? so <laughs> So we, we, we were wanting to go a day off so we can go fishing. We had to drive three hours in the morning to go fishing and then come back and then play the next day. And then we wanted to win the next that day so we go fishing again. You know, so it was that's kind of how we played it. It wasn't your professional, you know, hey, let's go rest and put your feet up. No, this was like, hey, let's, you know, enjoy ourselves. But So that was real special. Um, I think the ones with Pencor were were great because they were they were just great teams. Yeah. I mean, the the best of the best, the elite players. I mean, the best some of the best clubs they ever played on, uh, without a doubt. But I, I think the uh, you know that one, and then of course the St. Joe's. Um, well, I, I go back to another one. There was one where I played on the same team as Darren Zach, and um, you know we all talk about how great a man or great a teammate Darren Zach is, and they're absolutely right. He was a great teammate, and I think we fed off each other pretty well there too. And uh, it was great to play with him, and I really enjoyed that season uh, just because playing with him. Um, and, of course, the rest of the team were, were really good. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the St. Joe's, just for the same reason as I, as um, Teleconnect. It was about the camaraderie and the team and just getting to know some close friends like Doug Middleton. Nice. Nice. Real cool. Yeah. Another question, this is Blair Sifford. Another question from him was, who would you uh, um, mention in the same sentence as the top non-Kiwi pitcher on the circuit? Ooh, well, you'd have to go um, Ty Stoffler. You know, Ty Stoffler was the, one of the first ones I ever saw. Now, a lot of people talk about the Brubakers and everybody else and Alan Colglazer and several of the others. I mean, I, I think they were all really good, but uh, Ty Stoffler was the best the best there. Um, you know, because when I look at its consistency, who would you want to give the ball to in that big game? Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a lot of my teammates say that same thing because you know what you're getting when you put that person out there. You know, you get the best effort. They're not going to be afraid of the situation. So I think he'd be one. And I think uh, Doug Milton was the next one. But Doug never really had – he didn't have the great rise ball that, that uh, you know, the ability to mix the pitches like some did. Uh, but, but Doug was real consistent as well. Nice, nice. Nice indeed. Um the Sox now, let's just go back to the Sox. Playing for the Sox while you're in the States or coming back and forth, how was how that for you? Yeah, that was a difficult time. Um, you know, you told me when I first made that decision not to play. No, or... no, 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 no. The, 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 in, in the time when you were playing for the Sox, uh, coming back from the States, whether you were playing in New Zealand or you weren't coming back, how, how did you mix that in to, to get that time to play for New Zealand? Um, yeah, I mean, um, I remember there was one time I had to come back. I think it was 88. I had to come back for the same reasons uh, that early he had to come back. He had to be part of the, the team. And uh, that was a difficult time because um, 
you know, I had to leave my wife and, um, you know, and come over and, and spend three months to be able to qualify for the team. And that was, that was difficult yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, other times uh, my wife was able to come with me and we were able to visit New Zealand and um, do some things. So that made it a lot easier, obviously, but, um, and then they relaxed that, that stipulation. I think in 92, we didn't have to go back, right. I think, anymore. So that was, you know, getting with the game, you know, understanding that this game's changed and we have to, to adapt uh, to what the things are doing. So that was some forward thinking there. So just understand from, from our point, when did you when did you live more in the States than you did in New Zealand? When did that start out? Uh, more in the States. So that would have been in 84 mm. when I first started going to school. Um, so 84 to 87, 88. Uh, and then, yeah, pretty much stayed over. Got married in 89. Um, so that was that was a really – so 84. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, Midland, Michigan. <laughs> we talked about that uh, being your first World Cup. It, uh, it also was the place for your, for your last World Cup. Going into that tournament uh, with the team that you had, what, what were your thoughts? In 96? Yeah. Yeah, that was um, – well, to, to understand 96, you have to go back to 92. Yeah. 92, 92 we, were, we were winning the championship gold medal against Canada 3 nothing with Chub Tangaroa on the mound. We talked all week about how if Jody Hennigan was going to come up to a bat, we were never going to throw him a rice ball. Yeah. Just flat out no rice balls to Jody Hennigan. Jody Hennigan is on the bench for Canada with his tennis shoes on with a camera in his hand, and a couple of runners get on. I think one was an error, one was a walk, or it was kind of like a couple of openings. So they call timeout, Jody, you're in the bat. Chubby throws him a rise ball. Uh, <laughs> See you later, yeah. sayonara, 3-3 three, three, three yeah. in the fifth innings. I mean, I mean, they weren't touching Chubb at all, you know, but, but Chubby, you know, Chubby was stubborn. Chubby was uh, going to say, I'm going to do it my way, and he believed he could beat anybody. And that's a hallmark of a good pitcher, by the yeah. way. I mean, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But it was just – no need to do that at that time. So, and then I came into the game and uh, eventually ended up taking the loss. Um, uh, Mark Smith uh, got a double off me uh, to score a couple of runs and we ended up losing in on nine or 10 innings or something. And so I likened that. I mean, that, that, that crushed our team. Mm. Our team was crushed. This is in the Philippines, uh, right? Uh, we'll say this, this is in the Philippines. Yeah. And, and, and our team was crushed. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, there was, uh, we were devastated. Um, so I likened it, the rest of the team likened it, sleeping under, with a rock under your pillow for four years, uh, wanting to get back yeah. to that game. And so that kind of fired it all up. And then fast forward to to then, we had Marty Grant. Uh, um, Kevin he was the pitching coach. We had myself and, and Chubby. And Chubby and I, again, we fed off each other. I mean, it's, a, it's ironic how when I first started pitching, it was like me, but and it was one pitcher a lot of times, but mm. then the game evolved. You needed somebody else, and that's what we had. Chubby and I fed off each other, and Marty was the understudy. And we just we pitched brilliantly. Our team was on a mission. Uh, you know, we had Paul Walford, one of the best players I've played around, uh, fierce competitor, Thomas Perinara, uh, you know, uh, Dean Rice. I mean, there were so many really good ones. Mark Sorison, of course, um, Jared Martin, um, Travis Wilson. You know, I think yeah. that was one of his first big tournaments. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, just a, a bunch of young upstarts that wanted to take on Canada and revenge what we thought we should have won in 92, and we were able to do that. And, of course, the culmination of it was was the perfect game, which 
Uh, you can ask Max Sorensen of this. When I was warming up on the sideline, I felt like crap. <laughs> I really I felt like I couldn't break a pane of glass, you yeah. know. And uh, I think Mark went to, to Walsh and said, get someone ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got it. So, you know, and this is how things can change sometimes. I remember starting the game off fairly timid. Well, not timid, but, um, you know, just aware of what could happen. And uh, I think we made a couple of good plays and just built on that. And then I can just remember going to the dugout and saying, uh, I was not going to let them score. And, that, and that's all I, we were culture. I was not letting them score. And, uh, you know, most people don't realize that in that game, I think Darren Zach had like 11 strikeouts through four innings. Yeah, well. Or five innings. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was real close. I mean, we ended up winning, you know, three or four nothing or something. But the game ultimately was close uh, for the first first half. Your um, lead up to that tournament, whether it was in the tournament uh, in the games before the World uh, World Series, or or whatever it was, the story I'm told, you and Chubby, and maybe Marty, I guess, kind of worked on a new pitch, a cutter. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much, um, I'd started experimenting with the cutter and and just using different finger pressure points, something to give me to go inside the lefties. Yeah. And that's really what it was about, was finding it out. Because everyone just throws lefties outside, outside, outside. You know? yeah. And so I wanted something to come in and uh, develop that pitch. And, and so did Chubby. And um, it really, I think it extended my career for another, you know, good portion, another eight years. Yeah. <laughs> Which, wow. you know, you're always developing new pitches and, and messing around. And, and I like it when I'm teaching pitching. I like it to, to be a scientist. Uh, you're always experimenting. You know, and you have to deal, you know, find out, you know, you, you say, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work, and you just go from there. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I remember, I remember when Chubb came back from – I'm a Hawks Bay boy originally. Uh, I remember when he came yeah. back, and that's where I heard about the cutter, and I played under under and with Chubb at the time and got to see it firsthand. I was like, wow, I'd never seen this picture well, before. I think, I think Chubby stole it from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a funny story. I remember we were in uh, – we were in uh, Salt Lake City. I think it might have been 88. And uh, Chubby room with Mark Sorensen. And somehow Mark's black book got missing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was Famous a book where he kept out. He picked all his pitches. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how Chubby found out how Mark was picking them. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, clever, right? Clever indeed. Um, yeah. Just back in that, um, that, that final, the perfect game, when did you feel or did you <clears> ever feel it was going to be a perfecto. Well, you know, you kind of, you kind of know it's going, um, but again, you know, I was more focused on, um, and it's the first time I've really kind of really, I could say I'd heard about the zone, but the zone is where, you know, you're not completely isolated. You're kind of aware of things, but you're not aware of what's going on. Um, but I was focused on just getting the outs. And then about the sixth, uh, I kind of had an idea what was going on, you know, or what could happen. Uh, because, you know, at that time I was more worried about winning the game. And then, of course, you get to a stage where it's three or four nothing, and you're going, okay, we, we kind, of, kind of got this, but you've got to stay in the present moment, mm. as what happened in the Philippines. Mm. We got ahead of ourselves, thought we had it won, got away from us, and it's all about momentum. Um, so, you know, everything happens for a reason, and maybe that loss in, um, that loss in the Philippines was enabled me to pitch that perfect game in 96. 
Well, simply amazing. You you talked about your friend Mark Sorensen throwing you under the bus about <laughs> get something warmed up because he got nothing today. Uh, he credits that game as the best pitch game he's ever caught in his life. Well, he's caught a lot of good games, so that's an honour. Thank you. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, it's also an honour uh, for us, Damon, and, and you know, softball in New Zealand, my friend. 13 years uh, for the Black Sox. You bookmark it. We started at the beginning of this podcast with a perfect game in Christchurch against one of the best teams in the world. You didn't even know who they were, but you did it. <laughs> and then you did it against the world at the highest honour at Midland, Michigan. And to do that, I mean, you're the only pitcher who's trying a perfect game for New Zealand to win a gold medal, right? The only one. And you bookmark your I think career. So. I mean, it's it's an amazing, an amazing feat, man. Which uh, I mean, like from from my point, and I know in New Zealand's point, we we're just so grateful to have had you uh, in our game. Yeah, well, um, definitely blessed, and um, a lot of great friends, both in New Zealand and the United States, and um, you know, having worn that uh, across my chest. There's so many things I don't forget where I'm born. Yeah, um, and I use a lot of things from my New Zealand uh, experiences uh, to help uh, my teams over here. Nice, nice, my friend. Nice, nice indeed. Um, uh, actually, got another question here, and because I want to skip through to your, to your coaching, and we know you helped out USA uh, for a bit after that, um, and got them to a bronze medal in two thousand. Congratulations, as well as a lot of other uh, achievements. And good on you for, for doing that, because you also, at your time of doing that, and we've talked a little bit about this. You also gave the opportunity for those, as you mentioned, the understudy, Marty Grant. To be able to stand up and be and to be in the the limelight for the Sox. So if you hadn't have stepped aside, he wouldn't have got that opportunity. Yeah, that's right. I think it was in two thousand. That was the first time I was actually in uh, in South Africa uh, yeah. that he stepped up big time. And then, unfortunately for him, you know, when it was in New Zealand, he he had that injury, last yeah. minute injury. I think it was his calf or something. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but then again, they had Jimmy Weiner. Yeah, you know, and Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy was underrated a lot in New Zealand. Uh, and in the United States, he was, uh, you know, he's really kind of like Chris Nicholas was in his day. Uh, but Jimmy was a little underrated in New Zealand, uh, but he stepped up big time. And, and that's what you got to do. And uh, it was great to see. Um, the, the coaching side of things, Mike, you know, the career path that you have now, where did that start for you? Like at what time while you're still playing, did, did, did someone tap you on the shoulder? Or did you think, well, maybe as you put it yourself, maybe I can eat softballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, as much as you try to get away from the game, sometimes it's in your blood and it just draws you back in, you know, yeah. and I think that's what kind of happened. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, some of it was luck and, and uh, you know, coincidence, I suppose. Um, but um, I was in Hawaii and I think it was, whenever the Olympics were in Australia, was it 2004? Yep. Or 2000. 2004, it was four, it? Four, yeah. No, no, it had to be 2000. Oh, no, 2000, 2000. Yes, of course. Four was the World Cup yeah. in Christchurch, yeah. Yeah, or 2002, one of the two. Uh, and um, I was in Hawaii pitching batting practice for the U.S. team. They took me over. And uh, Ralph Weekly, who was the current coach at um, Tennessee mm -hmm. and also was director of national teams when I was pitching for the U.S., uh, we had dinner one night, and he said, hey, you should really look at getting into coaching. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I've never done it before. You know, I wouldn't know where to start or that kind of stuff. He said, no, you'd be a really good coach. And, um, you know, so he kind of got me interested. He, he kind of turned that thing on in my head. It's like, I don't, I don't know, you know, what's like. But um, so anyhow, uh, I owned a play against Sportsstore, and then the internet just started coming through. Yeah. You know, I can remember the times we had the AOL dial up <laughs> and the sporting going and 
just like, you know, forever to download just a page, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I can see the writing on the wall where the retail sales are going to go, there's going to be a struggle. Hence Amazon. I wish I'd known that and put some money in that. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so I was kind of right in some respects. Um, but so then I, I, I contacted the then national team's director, Ronnie Isham, and said, hey, if you hear about a club that's looking for someone that wants to get into coaching, you know, let me know. But I don't want to go through the, the bottom. I don't want, I want to go someone yeah. that's uh, willing to jump in at the top. So yeah. kind of long story short, Kathy Aronson, who was a big-time USA national team pitcher for the women, um, hired me uh, to go out to, to Oregon. And, and that's a, as a first-time job, but only because I had my degree. Yeah. Uh, the only reason she lost her pitching coach because he didn't have his degree Thank goodness I went back to school and got yeah, my degree. Nice. Uh, you know, so uh, just been very fortunate in life that things have turned out pretty well. Uh, that got me going, and I did that for a couple of years. Uh, and I had a young family, um, you know, it's like I think six, eight, and ten, uh, and I wasn't ready for the lifestyle change um, because coaching is a lifestyle. There yeah. is, it's not nine to five. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, if you can go out and you need to recruit. You know, we'll be out recruiting from eight o'clock in the morning until nine thirty at night. Yeah, you know, do that back to back to back. Wow, uh, it's it's not easy. And then you, of course, you're leaving your family and everything else, and uh, so there's no shut off time. It's you know, it's not a forty hour week. So uh, I quit that for a little bit because be more my family, and then just did uh, individual lessons and speaking engagements and um, stuff like that, and then got called back by Oregon. Because uh, they like what I did there, and say, "Hey, you want to apply for the job?" And then the kind of rest is history. Yeah, yeah, that was the top job you were coming back to, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the the head coach job. Yeah, yeah. which was, um, and I said to him, "I said, hey, man, are you sure about this? I've never been a head coach before." And they said, "Don't worry about it. If you don't know what to do, we'll find it. We'll find help." For you. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's probably one of the biggest questions I've got. Is how did you? find a way i mean let's take oregon don't get me wrong but not the the strongest national program at the time when you took over how did you find a way because they became a perennial powerhouse yeah well i I knew the game i had my confidence that i knew the game and i'd seen it enough of it just from my short time in 2002 three uh being an assistant coach is that yeah i didn't know the game at that time in fact i didn't even know i had a pitch coaching pitch coaching well, coach pitching, mm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I can remember my head coach then, Kathy uh, Aronson, saying, hey, you have to be able to teach pitching. And I said, well, you just go like this, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have to actually break it down. What comes first? What's the sequence? Yeah. I've never ever thought about that. I've never had a lesson in my life. I've never watched anyone give a lesson. And so that was a whole discovery thing for me and really got me, t- my brain ticking into how things work. Yeah. I've always been that way. As I'm younger, I've, I've always torn things apart to figure out how they work. can never put them back together, but I always tear them apart. Um, and the same thing was my pitching. You know, what what's making Kevin Hurley better than someone else yeah. or, or whatever? And so that intrigued me. And then the challenge of it, of the competition, you know, and, and I remember going for the job <clears throat> and having a, a, a sales pitch of, I want to exchange our ERA with our batting average. Because I think we were betting in the 200s and our ERA was in the 300s. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, you know, not a good recipe there. So so that's what we did. We actually changed it around. We went from a <clears throat> from a 15, I think we had 15 wins and about 34 losses 
to making super regionals uh, the following year. So it was, it was quite the transformation. But I also hired some really good coaches yeah. in Jess Allister and Lisa Dodd. Well, look, I remember seeing some footage about you uh, when you were at Oregon. Um, and I think it was around the time when they got new facilities. So that was a couple of years or so into the program uh, you were there. Um, but there was some footage about kind of day-to-day life. And the one thing that I took from it, not so much the facilities, and they're amazing, um, but was the way that you handled your staff. So your staff would be in a meeting, and the way that I could see you communicating with them or getting what you needed from them, it was like it was a business uh type thing is that something is that a tool you've always had or something that you developed you know it's a good question i think we're always developing um i'm I'm a researcher you know and and i heard a great line one time you take from somebody once it's plagiarism well you you take something once it's plagiarism if you take from a lot of people it's research so (laughs) i I value that kind of research I, i i'm listening to great people great coaches uh, as I've talked about before, I've had been blessed with being around Mike Walsh and Kirlian Kircher and several others, but you know, people like Vince Lombardi and um, John Wooden and uh, you know, Nick Saban and uh, you know even Don Tricker, you know, just his his ability to get people to think the way he wants them to think yep. without raising his voice is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, you, you can't be someone you're not. Yep. So you got to take all these things and find a way to get people to do what you want them to do. So, yes, that's, that's what I was trying to do. And you've got to get them to, to, to evolve to the way you're thinking. Um, you know, when, when you're button heads, no one's going to win. Um, what I touched on just before, Mike, uh, about Oregon, your new facility, um, and I, I'm, don't get me wrong, some great facilities for, for men's uh, softball around the world, but the women's game in the States, are you kidding me? Yeah, I think, you know, that all started in 96 uh, with the uh, games in Atlanta. And I think the, uh, you know, the game just took off from there. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, it became an ability. Then the ability to get a college scholarship, you know, has driven the game at the junior level for yeah. sure. And then, of course, the Olympic dream, hopeful, uh, which, of course, we all hope gets back into the Olympics, yeah. right? I mean. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's a shame that it's not in the Olympics full time, but it is what it is. So we got to live with it. But um, you know that really drove the game and the investment. And the other part of it was on the West Coast, you had the Pac-12, which kind of started the softball, and their facilities are outdated, uh, to tell you the truth. Except for you know Oregon's updated theirs; they got a brand new one, yeah. uh, which is you know top of the line. But you know UCLA, which is you know synonymous with yeah. College World Series. The facilities are, are not the greatest. Mm. Um, you just don't have the money or the funding to be able to do that. And TV contracts from football run everything and enable these things to happen. Yeah. Um, so SEC, they're kind of late to the softball party. So their, um, their facilities are more updated and newer and better looking. And now, you know, as you know, Texas is going to be joining the SEC. We have to look at updating our facilities because – uh, the Big 12 was, was, again, in the middle of things on yep. the Big 10. So there's a whole renaissance happening here where these facilities are going to have to upgrade themselves. But like you said, these fields are manicured, full-time people, perfect playing conditions. Um, it's the way it should be. It's the major leagues for women. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, we have seen, um, of course, we get to see a bit of you. Now, well, before I get to Texas, of course, we got to see you in Aotearoa and you brought down the girls from Oregon uh, in that series. That was a yeah. blast having them down here. But I think yeah. not just for us to see them in person, 
and then some of these women that we'd seen on TV uh, in person, but also just to see the game at that level being played. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if, and you, know, you look at it, it's, it's taking steps. I mean, I always thought that, um, you know, the women's game is, the men's game is up here, right? And I always had this belief, like, we can take this women's game from here to here. Maybe yeah. not, I mean, just, they can never match the power, they can never match yeah. you know, 89 mile an hour fast pitch speeds or whatever, but there's certainly a gap that can be bridged uh, in the ability to play it. And now, I'm telling you, I mean, no disrespect, but you couldn't pay me to watch a women's game back in the 70s or 80s. Yeah. It was yeah. just, it was slow, there was no power, uh, the pitching dominated. I mean, there was nothing, right? Now, I tell you what, we get people to come to our games, they're entranced. Yeah. It's it's like they just want to keep coming. It's faster, it's quick. It's got everything that, that TV loves about it. It's got power, defense, pitching. It's got speed. Um, it, it's all there. It's over in two hours. Yeah. You know, we're a, a baseball game. You're just getting ready for your fifth inning stretch in two hours. Two <laughs> yeah. hours <you> know? <laughs> yeah. One thing we've noticed, uh, Mike, of course, the internet is a wonderful thing when it comes to following the game. Um, but the amount of softball that is now on uh, on TV, mm, and even right. here in New Zealand, uh, is phenomenal. Yeah. And that 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 must be great for the game. But how is that yeah. also for, for the players and, and you, the staff, being in that media limelight more? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it was great because I was getting uh, texts all the time from New Zealand, you know, uh, you know um, from, from friends that were, you know, congratulating us on our run and success. And so, and it was almost immediate. So, you know, they're yeah. seeing it straight away. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. It's tremendous. But, um, you know, our games uh, in, in Texas are uh, broadcast on LHN, Longhorn Network, which is part of the ESPN family. Yeah. So we're on every single day, every single game, at, you know, at home, which is great for us for recruiting and telling, you know, hey, you may live in Florida, but you can see our games. And we, you don't have to travel. Of course, weekends you can travel. But just the ability to, to see that. I also think that um, – you know, how, how I learned how to play the game was watching the best of the best. Yeah. And how a lot of baseball kids watch and they watch, you know, Albert Pujols or whoever else, you know, they get to copy and emulate that. Well, the same thing happens in fast softball with all these young women now having the ability to watch idols and watch great players play. And I think it's, again, it's just, it's helping elevate the game. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. The, the, and saying that, mate, you get to Texas, you get your feet underneath the desk, but you're straight into it. Of course, you get a bunch of players follow you from Oregon. They love what you do, obviously. Um, how have you found it in Texas, apart from the weather? Um, yeah, well, you know, I've got swimming pools. <laughs> it's hot, man. <laughs> but... Uh, but it's also, it's nice too. The winter is a lot better too. Yeah. So, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a give and take with everything, right? Yeah. Um, but um, we, we're in a recruiting hotbed here. There's a lot of really good club softball being played, uh, Bombers organization, Hot Shots. So there's a lot of club teams that we can go to. We don't do much with high schools. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you know, they, they we, just, we just don't do that because uh, the club teams recruit for us. So it's like going where the fish are at. Yeah. And depending on the level of your club, Depends on what organizations you follow. So that's kind of what we do. Um, but, you know, Texas is a tough place. I mean, it, it's, you know, there's a saying here, it's not for the timid or the weak. Uh, and that being, there's a lot of expectations. Uh, and so, you know, but I've never looked at that. I've looked at it, I just want to win. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from Oregon, it took a long time to build a system there where you had 
you know, because you can kind of get players every four years, right? So they, they stay for your four years and they kind of evolve out of yeah. the system. And so it takes, it's slow, it's slow to build up. Yeah. The transfer portal, which is kind of what we're talking about here, has helped mm. because you can fill holes. Some clubs are absolutely living on it, like Oklahoma, uh, you know, yeah. no destination new. So they're just plugging and playing and, and uh, bringing people in. The rest of us have to kind of like work around that a little bit. It takes a little longer. This has taken longer to build the system I want than yeah. I really would have liked. Um, this is my fifth year coming up, minus the COVID year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what I'm trying to get to. is a system where we have these young kids coming in, they learn the system from the upperclassmen, and then they just kind of teach themselves. And that's the ultimate goal. Gotcha. Fantastic. The um, I, mean, I guess if we jump to this, uh, the College World Series, man, what a ride. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, like a lot of us Kiwis follow you, right? We follow your team. Um, and of course, some of your athletes, especially the ones that, that came from Oregon, right? We'd, we'd kind of yeah. formed a connection back then. Um, but, you know, I mean, let's be honest, you ride into the College World Series or leading up to it, or I guess the regionals, wasn't that great? to be fair, but boy, oh boy, did you guys turn it on. Yeah, I don't know what happened, which, which I mean, you know, as a coach, you try a, mu- a bunch of different things, right, to kind of, uh, to motivate and inspire and get them to believe, uh, you know, you just throw a lot of stuff out there and, you know, I'm not sure which one stuck, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, I have an idea. I mean, we, we took the, we took the, uh, the adage that, um, you know, why not us? And, um, you know, what have we got to lose? Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of thing. And, um, you know, and, and by doing that, by being carefree, not careless, we're going to be dangerous. Yeah. We're dangerous. People don't want to play us because we have nothing to lose and we got to take it to you and give it our best shot. Yeah. And we did that. Yeah. Uh, until we got to the final final against Oklahoma we all of a sudden, hey, we're in the final. We got something to lose. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's like you know, we, they talk about it in football here. Yeah, uh, they talk about prevent defense, prevent win. Mm-hmm. So you, you you're just trying to hang on instead of playing aggressive. What got you to, to lead in the first place is kind of what happened there. We we forgot. We, we were worried about what they were going to do instead of worrying about what we were doing. Yeah, that's what I saw from my side. Now yeah. I don't know exactly what went on in their minds. Yeah, but. Being a coach with them, you could feel that kind of thing. But absolutely impressed by the way our team handled adversity. We were down to like I think six or seven knockout games and won them all. Yeah. So it was, it was great. Yeah, that 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 um, that that catchphrase that you brought out uh, through that campaign of being uh, dangerous. Man, that stuck. It resonated with me. And uh, for a team that you were that season, it was the perfect way to to galvanise them to believe, as you say. I yeah. mean, they're all talented, right? Like at that level, every one of those athletes is super talented. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I keep telling tell people that the champions are not born that way. You know, champions are made. And why not us? What's separating us from the champion team? You know, and it's a lot of your belief system and also how you practice over the years. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, typically the best players, the best athletes are training harder than the other athletes or they're training and they're training smarter. Yeah. Uh, you know, no doubt about it. So it's a combination of both. We need to teach them the shortcuts, the easy way to do it. They have to trust us in that because typically it's going to go against what they've learned in the past. And that's a hard thing to do. And I'll tell you, with women athletes, women, women, female athletes, they have a tough time 
accepting failing as the way to success. Does that make sense? Makes big sense. So, you know, they want to please and they want to be perfect all the time. And, it, it, you know, guys are going to make mistakes all day long and they have a laugh about it. And yeah. They let's go. Um, whereas the female athlete will care about it. They'll care how they look. Yeah. They care about making mistakes. Guys, whatever, you know, this guy. How, how, how did you find, and I should, probably should ask this at the beginning of your coaching segment, but how did you find that transition of control of the game as a pitcher to what type of control you have as a coach? How did you find that transition? Yeah, difficult. I think it's, I think it's, um, you know, it's so easy to, to, hey, just play like I played, you know, just do what I do, you know, but it was different and they do things differently. And I think, like I said, you know, this is my 14th year as head coach. And I believe I'm evolving each time. I'm yeah. trying to learn things a little bit better. But trust me, I still make my mistakes. I mean, I think I had that one episode there. It was on ESPN and broadcast pretty heavily where, you know, where I gave the one-fingered salute. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, so I, w- I wanted to know, put it on the post, uh, but Chop- Chopper wouldn't <laughs> let me. Like, no, Chopper know. wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, you know, you know, you can, you can laugh about it. But, yeah, you know, good on you. It was, it was a learning experience, yep. and, um, you know, I've got to own up to that, and i got to live, live up to it, yep. and, um, you know, make sure it didn't happen again, but, um, so, you know, we, you know, we're always evolving, always learning, trying to find better ways to do things, and I'm, I'm respectful of that with my athletes, too. They're different people today. They're different kids. Yeah. There's different pressures on them with social media and uh, this name, image, likeness thing coming out. Um, the expectations of scholarships and uh, it's just it's it's very difficult for some of these kids. How, how, and that's because it's a great question, and that's what I was kind of asking with you know television televised games for you. Uh, how is that for you as the management? But for your athletes, how do you manage that for them? Right. They are in the limelight. You know, you, you get to a college world series, especially, and you know ESPN, they are just going to make those kids into rock stars. They are rock stars. But, you know, the expectation is huge. Every time they get up the bat, they've got to hit a home run yeah. or they've got to strike out the girl. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you could liken it to, like, your rugby players, right? Your top rugby players are 25, 26 years old, right? A lot more experience. We're talking about getting 18 to 19 to 20-year-olds to, to, to deal with this stuff. And it is sort of overwhelming for, for some of them. Uh, obviously, we have some that handle it better than others. And we have uh, sports and information directors, that help manage that for them, yeah. you know, walk them through those serious scenarios. Yeah. And we do protect some of our athletes, the ones that are not yeah. so good at it. Yeah. Uh, but it is a learned experience. Some do better at it than others, without mm-hmm. a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I kind of try and tell them it's, um, it's better than the alternative. It's better than no one, Karen. Yeah. And, and uh, as a men's fast pitch player playing in New Zealand, we know what that's like, right? <laughs> <laughs> no one at the game, other than your family. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Would you be in trouble if there was social media back when you were playing? Um, yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. Hey, hey, take it easy. If Carl Spencer can do it to the Canadians, yeah. uh, tabs, it's all good. So, yeah. um, the, the your, your staff, let's kind of talk about that with Texas. You know, how big is your staff? And you talked about the kids providing support. Yeah. Do you like hire a mental coach and stuff? How does it, what does it look like at, at Texas? Yeah, that's a really good question because each program is a little bit different. Um, in fact, I just had a meeting this morning with our sports performance coach, uh, Hillary Paulson, 
what works with the Spurs and also one of our football teams in town. Wow. Um, and it's more of a, you know, she comes in and visits with on team building activities and also for some of them on how to handle pressures. Um, we also have on staff um, two um, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, sorry, two psychologists. Uh, they, they can go to at any time without me knowing and discuss any kind of personal uh, pressures or problems. You know, there's a lot of... Um, you know, kids that had had other problems other than softball, but it all kind of, you know, school pressures, um, you know, those types of things. Uh, so then we have that. Then we have um, a mental, um, an actual sports performance coach uh, that's going to measure their, their abilities to do certain things explosively. Mm-hmm. Then we have a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, and then um, we have a nutritionist on staff uh, that, uh, you know, they're able to measure the nutrition, do um uh, hydration testing, uh, all sorts of stuff, and provide them with information on how to eat properly. Yep. Um, then I have, of course, I have a, a heading coach and a fielding coach. Then I have um, a new coach, Coach Zaleski. Uh, she's going to be in charge of the outfield and catches and also um, team uh, bonding kind of things. Of course, I'm the pitching coach. Uh, then I have a volunteer coach um, who typically is a transition role into getting into pit into another role. Yep. Uh, some clubs it's different, uh, depends on who you have. But ours is a pitcher that through played for us the last couple of years, uh, Molly Jacobson. All right. So she's going to help me with the pitching. Yeah. And then we have uh, what we call a graduate manager. And so the graduate manager is going to be um, Haley Dolcini, who pitched for us last year. Yeah. And those people we can actually use in roles where they'll throw batting practice for us on the field. And so we like to use a lot of live arms. So having people that can pitch and do things like that are actually – pretty valuable for us. Yeah. Uh, and then we have managers that we employ per hour, and we'll have up to four or five managers that will set the field up, um, you know, do a lot of different things, our laundry, you know, all sorts of things like that, and they get taken care of. I have a director of operations who's like my catch-it-all. She organizes the travel, the hotels, the food for the players, um, all that kind of travel arrangements, um, ordering the Nike equipment and any other equipment we need. Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, the list, list goes on. Then a full-time trainer who's just for softball. How, Damien? They're uh, going to need another bus just for the staff. Oh, my God. Yeah, we, we have 30, 35, 36 travel. Wow. You know, wow. so it's, um, you know, a couple of hotel rooms and yeah. uh, a bus for sure. would more than two buses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's, it's an army and then, yeah. you know, you know, then I've got staff under that, you know, compliance and everybody else that we have to manage marketing and, uh, you know, this, the list goes on. But Mike, to be competitive though, right, to get yourself in the program in the shape needed to at least attempt to get to a College World Series, does the program need to be at that level? Yes, yeah. it does. I mean, you know, we, we call it mid-major and, and, and major level, you know, and so the, the power five, the power five of the five major conferences, right, the SEC, mm. Pac-12, Big 12, um, uh, the ACC, you know, the, the, the five major conferences here, I think of the top uh, 15 seeds, top 16 seeds for the, for the regional, super regionals, you know, they're all Power 5 teams. There was one mid-major, or one, one uh, non-Power 5, and that was UCF, uh, Central Florida. So you can see it's, you know, the, you know, and most of those programs have football yeah. or major, major basketball. That's what we're all running off of. 
Another cash cow. Wow. Impressive. Very, 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 very impressive. Um, I, I got two other questions on Texas before we go off there, Damien. One is, one, when are you bringing them to New Zealand? <laughs> I'm working on that. Good. So if we can figure out a deal, man, I'll tell you, because, like, uh, you know, Del Conte, and Chris Del Conte is a fantastic um, athletic director. Um, he is um, very supportive. He's his thing is, and, and he's, we've won what we call the Directors Cup the last two years, right. which we have about 20 sports. So really what it does, it takes your best sports, and whoever's the best in the country in the top sports, they win the cup. Well, Stanford's won it for the last, I don't know how many years, but we won it the last two years in a row. Nice. So it's a feather in our cap that we're very balanced athletic department. Well, that's awesome. um, so, so having said that, you know, if he sends me to New Zealand, he's going to have to send somebody else somewhere else. So, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, we're all still kind of really rebounding from um, from COVID. Yeah. And then also our buyout to go into the SEC, we have to buy our way out of that contract. Oh, really? So, wow. yeah. yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things to go above my pay grade. Okay. All right. Okay. A couple years I'm hearing, mate. Keep on holding, yeah. holding those fingers like that, Chopper. And, 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 and I know that if you get a chance, you'll bring them down, and we can't wait. To Absolutely. I mean, it, it was a highlight of those kids – Korea, yep. our trip to, to New Zealand for the Oregon team, yep. uh, they still talk about it. Uh, and they, they loved it. They loved the hospitality, um, you know, the ability to play uh, different, um, you know, uh, different uh, cultures. Yeah. Uh, it, it was awesome. Yep. I mean, going to the, to the, like being welcomed at the Maori school, yep. uh, you know, with their culture, it was, it was fascinating. It was yep. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to um, catch up with obviously you and the athletes, but also some of the pe- parents that made the trip uh, for that. And they just loved it, you know, the culture and the experience of being uh, in New Zealand. So, yeah, hopefully we can share that love with uh, with those fellow Texans or, or where are the ladies are. Yeah, yeah, cool. Awesome. cool. Of course, that leads me to the second question. When do we get a Kiwi on that roster? That's a good question. I mean, um, the you know, I think the connections that they're building, it's its hard to because one is the recruiting. You've yeah. got to see them play. Yeah. And so, you know, taking them sight unseen and, uh, you know, the leagues in New Zealand are not as organized. I remember going over to Australia and watching uh, Casey, uh, Georgia Casey play. Right. And, you know, the things we're used to here, like recruiting books and years and where they're playing, there was none of that. I yeah. had to find out where the heck she was. You know? <laughs> so you know, it's, it's kind of like a different kind of kill of fish. Yeah. But the way to do it is, you know, one is through video now. This uh, It's much better, the ability to see the video, and yeah. then have them play, you know, in a Junior World Cup or something like that where yeah. we can go visit and recruit. Yeah. Uh, and then the other great way is the way that, um, uh, you know, it's been done before is go to junior colleges and immerse yourself for the first couple of years in yes. that. And then uh, you know go on uh, and play from there. Gotcha. I guess based off that, then um, uh, Mike, what would be your number one piece of advice for a young female athlete in New Zealand coming up in the game or choosing? Say they're twelve or fourteen years old that have kind of got the spark of softball in their eye. What's one bit of advice yeah. you'd give them if they're going to go to higher honours? Well, you have to understand the requirements of the position. What yeah. are the requirements to be? Uh, at one, at the University of Texas, or two, you know, in a Power Five team at the top level, what's their requirement? Then that goes down from there. So, in other words, the physical requirements are, you know, what's your overhand arm speed like? You know, what's your strength of your arm? What is your foot speed like? What is your hitting for average? What is that like? Mm. What's your hit for power? And then, what is your fielding ability? 
you know, it could be what's your fielding ability, like third base versus first base versus middle or, or second. So the position requirements, even catcher or pitcher, you know, you all have your own specific requirements. So what are your measurements to know which bucket you should go into? Otherwise, you're going to waste your time and, and you're going to get frustrated. So where do you fit? Yeah. Now, having said that, those are easy measurables, right? It's a competitive drive and the spirit that we have to see you play and interview mm. with that make the decision on what level you ultimately yeah. You've also mentioned a couple of times about actually understanding the game from, you know, from your pitching, from being a thrower to an actual pitcher, your football career, and, and also early on in your in your softball career. So how important is that for these young ladies to actually understand and learn the game before they get to that level? Yeah, I think there's always a game within a game. There's oh, people that, that know how to make it work, or the ones that are working harder, you know, they need to, you right? You know, it's like... It's like Wayne Grisky, greatest one of the greatest scorers in hockey, right? He mm-hmm. was always in the right the place one. at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, so it's just that – it's like I talk about Janae Jepson. I, I mean, you guys are never blessed enough to see her play, but um, she was a kid I just look at, and she knows what I was thinking about. Yeah. I, I just start the sentence, and she would know. You know, she kind of figured that out, that where I need to be and how I need to do it before it needs to be told to me. Um, and that's just knowing – you know, what's the essence of the game? I think some people will forget this. You know, you're there to win. The essence of playing is to win. I'm sorry. You know, maybe it says, oh, it's just participation. Everyone gets a trophy. <laughs> I don't get paid for that. You know, I don't get paid to, yeah, well, we don't win. I don't get paid. Yeah. Um, uh, which today was a good day for me because I got my contract extended. So that was pretty good. Yeah. So I got another five Yeah. here first. Yeah. <laughs> So you know, it, 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 that's part of it, for awesome. sure. Awesome, fantastic. You know, I know there's there. I tell you what, the the women's game in New Zealand is 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 not huge. No, nothing like the states. I don't think anywhere is like the states. To be fair, <laughs> but um, uh, but there are a, a fair hunk of our young athletes that are getting university scholarships and going up. Yeah, whether absolutely. it be the the JUCO first or whatever the case is, and and it's great to see because um, I mean I know locally here in in, in the in the Hutt Valley, there's a young left hand pitcher coming through. She's only about. 14, no, 12. Who are we talking about? About young Bella. Oh, 12, mate. 12, yeah. Paul McGann's, can... um, Paul McGann's granddaughter. How about she that? is really? awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And she just loves yeah. the game. Left-handed? Left-handed, yeah. There you go, chocolate. That could be the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic, um, Mike. The um, y- you mentioned uh, earlier that you can't eat softballs, dude. What do the softballs taste like now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like my spice on it, Tabasco and Sriracha sauce, so, you know, so I can flavor them up a little bit. But, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, softball's been very good to me. I've been very blessed and, um, you know, fortunate. If, you, if you'd have told me I'd been, been, been where I'm at right now, I'd say you're crazy. Just, uh, you know, I, I never understood that. You, you always wish I would have retired from pitching earlier, <laughs> you know, but just because of the career opportunities in this game now for, for, the, for the best head coaches. Um, you know, the monetarily, it's it's getting very good. Yeah. Um, and, and so it should because, um, you know, our TV ratings are right up there. You know, we're, we're equaling, if not bettering, uh, the, woman, the men's college World Series in baseball. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, it's very attractive. And it's, it's kind of crazy because I'll walk around town here and, you know, Austin's an area of two-plus two million people. 
and they know who you are, uh, which is kind of crazy. Until they take my hat off and nobody knows who I am, right? I'm all um, he's a bit. Um, but it, it's just it's amazing how well it's being taken uh, as a sport and, and how it, how well it's adapting to uh, the United States. Yeah, no, that is that is. Well, you talk about uh, taking the hat off. Um, the stash has uh, become quite iconic over there as well. I've seen some T-shirts and some merch about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, you know, the whiteout thing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was a uh, – we actually uh, – we did that once at, at Oregon. We had this whiteout, uh, uh, whiteout day, and they put T-shirts on every seat that came in with uh, my uh, – I used to wear the Oakleys and the, yeah. the hat and the moustache and stuff. And it became an iconic thing, so we thought, let's try it at, uh, let's try it at Texas, and, uh, and and it paid off because I think we beat I think we beat Oklahoma that game too, you know. So I know the, when we first did it, we beat Oklahoma at at uh, at, um, at Austin, yep. and I think we may have beat Oklahoma in Austin. Uh, <laughs> you know, so who knows? Perfect. Something to it. Something Amazing. to Cover it. Cover it out, though. Well, anyway, it's a next world series if you play in Oklahoma in the, in the, in the final. Maybe you're just going to have to go with that campaign again, my friend. I like it. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> the trouble there is, uh, you know, there's 14,000 seats, and yeah. I think 12,000 are my Oklahomans. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's a home field advantage. Uh, wow. Cool. Um, uh, just before we go off that, mate, you, you've been in the College World Series a number of times now, obviously with Oregon and now Texas. Um, how does it feel? I mean, like, I know <laughs> I there's obviously a ton of pressure, but is it one of those things that, like, in the morning, are you excited? Well, and, you know, in some respects, it's surreal. Yeah. Like, you're in it before you even know you're in it, you know, because it's just, you know, the, the, the end of the season just speeds up. It just gets so fast because it's so compressed. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of planning. You know, you've got to scout all these teams because you don't know who you're going to play. Um, and it just speeds up, and it's actually, to tell you the truth, it's over before you even know it. Yeah. Um, you know, some of it, for some of the kids, it, it's different. It's like getting your eyes wide open. Yeah. You know, you're in there, and all of a sudden you're doing all these ESPN shoots and, um, you know, radio shoots. I mean, it's just the whole media thing yeah. picks up, uh, you know, 150%. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a matter where you can keep your eyes focused on what you need to do. Uh, you know, and, and not and not get too far out of out of get your feet off the ground, you know, stay on the ground. It leads me to my next question, Mike. You talked about in that perfect game, uh, you felt yourself going to the zone. How do you get into the zone when you get to the world championship? Yeah, I think that you know what you've got to do is everyone's going to feed off you uh, as a leader on the team. Uh, if you get out of sorts and if you get sped up and you start to panic. They will too. Yeah. So I really try hard to just keep everything under wraps. Yeah. As much as I can. Obviously, there's moments where you kind of, you, know, you feel like you're standing up for your team. You feel like there's a moment I've got to stand up. I've got to do something here to stand up for my team. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, questioning the umpire's call or whatever. Uh, you know, just show you got the back. But most of the time, you need to stay calm. You need to be the one with reason. Uh, and at times, it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes you get sped up and you start to. You know, you're not thinking clearly. Yeah. So it's almost a time when, when you're in a zone, everything comes to you slow motion. Yeah, yeah. It's like everything makes sense. You're not not second-guessing yourself. Everything is deliberate, in sequence, slowed down. When you get sped up, and at times it gets sped up, 
but it's tough. Yeah. Because it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to slow yourself down. Yeah. 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 Without a doubt, I can, yeah. Exactly. That's real. Thank you for the insight to that, Mike. That's, yeah. uh, yeah. 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 yeah, really, really, really cool. Uh, indeed. I mean, we we will obviously be rooting for you wherever uh, you are, what level you get to uh, this coming season. Of course, first, this uh, uh, minefield of the transfer system. How's that going for you? <laughs> I don't know if you can tell us too much, but is it going okay? Um, yeah, we've, we've picked up one really, really good pitcher, um, cool. Mac Morgan uh, from uh, Arizona State, was able to come on. She's a hard-throwing kid, throws about 70 mile an hour, which is oh. what, 115? Yeah. 115, uh-huh. 120? Nice. 120, 120, right? Kilometers, is that right, 120? Yeah, it, it must kilometers. be about that, 120. That's quick. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she throws pretty hard with a good change up and down. I mean, I try and develop a rise ball with her and everything else, but yeah. she's a good frame kid, good-sized kid. Farmer background, blue, uh, blue, good um, blue collar worker. Nice. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. And we, we missed out on a couple of really good hitters to OU, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just able to, you know, they've got more pull at the stage than us. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of the easy way to go, you know, joining the championship team. And you see that in other sports too, yep. right? Um, but, you know, that's the way it is. We've got to get better. We know that. We've got to become the, the draw. And so that's a challenge for us. Uh, we're still looking at a couple more players um, yes. that we haven't really finalised yet. So. Yeah. Oh, best best of luck with that, my friend. Well, it's not as easy as it sounds, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, we've we've got to find the ones that they'll they'll want the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nothing worth <laughs> so having comes easy. Uh, in saying that, in saying that, Mike, uh, the, what the the career that you've you've blazed as a coach has been impressive. You know, with Oregon and now with Texas and where you're getting their program to. For an athlete that sees that, and especially the loyalty of some of those athletes that have stayed with you, um, you know, there, there's a lot said in behind that, right? You know, and and I guess as a parent, not only do you want your kid to do well, but you want your kid to be looked after, and Absolutely. that's the type of coach you are. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and that's true. You know, I'm blessed to have three daughters and, um, you know, that's, you, you want your woman to be empowered yeah. um, to, you know, to, to feel that um, they have someone to fall back upon. And I make that promise to the parents that if something happens, we'll be there for them. Um, and, and I think that's important, um, you know, and try and teach them the right way to do things. I mean, we, we try to teach them to be independent thinkers. You know, not to force them to do one thing one way, uh, yet still have them in the ability to be in a system and yeah. be, you know, uh, you have the discipline. Uh, you still need that as well because you kind of have you know, a bunch of people running around doing whatever they want. But, <laughs> um, uh, but it, it, it is fun. I mean, it's challenging. It's great to see some of these young women uh, succeed and go on and do bigger things in life. Absolutely. Very, very, very cool. Uh, Mike, I think the last word should be yours, my friend. Uh, of course, <laughs> such a long history with the Black Sox, we, we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, and uh, an amazing, perfect game, but also your lengthy career at the ISC level, and now coaching, you've touched so many people in that realm uh, of college ball. What would you like to say? Well, I just want to thank all the people that have uh, helped me intentionally and unintentionally. Um, definitely wouldn't be where I'm at or had success without, you know, you don't throw a perfect game without Mark Sorensen catching it or Jaron Martin at first base, you know, catching people catching balls in the outfield second base. You, no one can do it by themselves. And I think it's the network we build around us that enables us to be successful 
or not, or even when we try and we fail, they're there to catch us. So I want to thank all those people, even from my my whanau, uh, you know, my uh, right back to my mom who put me in my place when I was younger, when I thought I was a little too big for my shoes. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like an embarrassing moment at the time, but it set the tone that uh, you know respect. Uh, and I use this respect attitude and effort or everything, and um, I try to follow through on that. I'm yeah. not perfect. I'm human. I tell that to my players all the time, and I make mistakes, and I'll probably still make mistakes, but uh, it's not through lack of effort or caring. Awesome. Very, very, very cool. Well, uh, Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time, man. It's been such a pleasure uh, to have you uh, here well, with us on the couch at Beyond the Dugout and yeah. kicking off season two. I mean, we couldn't ask for a better person. Um, and I know it took a little bit of time to kind of get it matched up, but you're worth the wait, my friend. Um, I know I it's, it. it's one that Damien and I have been longing to do. Um, and, you know, the legend of the perfect career, the perfect game of the, the bookend career, the perfect oh, game in Christchurch and the perfect game in middle of Michigan to win us a gold medal for New Zealand is Thank you. unbelievable has got to be the only word that goes to it. I said perfect, but the other word's unbelievable because that's what it is. And that's the career and that's the love that you gave us and the glory you gave us as softballers in New Zealand to, to have that as part of our history. And now we're just so proud watching you do your thing uh, over there. And uh, we wish you the best of luck and thank you so much. Well, I think what you said is about sharing. You, you know, and that's what it's about. I mean, that's why we play team sports to share the, the to share the the, uh, the tribulations, the trials, everything. You know, that's part of it. And uh, there's a lot of things that went in between those bookends. Um, and and but you know, it all it is. There's no regrets. I mean, you know, I've been thankful and just love every moment of it. And uh, I certainly wish I could be down there for the World Series. Uh, you know, this November. You know, that'd be something I'd love to do, and I wish I could do it. If I could find a way, I'll make it happen. But uh, so, but never say never. Hey, there's a cold oh. beer waiting for you, my friend, when you land. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple, just a couple. <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. 13 years with the Golden Homes New Zealand Black Sox, book ended by a perfect game at either end. Yes, perfect, unbelievable were the two words we use, but dangerous is the key word right now. Oh, yeah. Mike White is the most dangerous coach in the NCAA uh, softball college career at the moment and boy oh boy we love him we love what he does we love what he's done he's a true Kiwi that's Mike White what's up Kia Ka <laughs> love it love it dude I don't know about you but I feel like that what am I doing? What, I, how have I not achieved what this guy's achieved? He's like, it feels like, okay, this is my life. And I, I'm holding my hands about, you know, body width apart. And if I reach my arms as far as I can get, that's his life. Mike White, what a career, man. A way to pack in everything. My body width or your body width? Well, jokes, okay. jokes, jokes. <laughs> Bro, like even, you know, when we sit down, we do these podcasts and you're like, they, they've already got the story and it's like, how how are we then? And they're like, oh, 16, 18. And you're like, oh, ugh, what have I done in my life? But mate, he's literally um he's he's lived it, he's done it, he's um given everything to it. And and I think one of those special things is like he's he's tried tried and, and failed, you know, and given got back up and done it again. So that's awesome. It is it is awesome. I mean, um 
always new going into this podcast uh, that it's the per- perfecto, the perfect game yeah. in 96, you know, is the hallmark of his career. And of course, knowing the inside that he had one to start his career as well is, I mean, you could just, that's it. You don't have to do anything else. That's it. <laughs> just perfect, hang your hat, I, mate. I pitched a perfect game yeah, to win, yeah, a, yeah. win a gold medal at a World Cup. You know? yeah. I'm done. I'm not going to buy a beer for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to do it. But he has, yeah. and then he's continued, right? And, Absolutely. Um, what an amazing person. Gotta say, the moment in there where I uh, thanked him for his service to the Sox. Mm. We get to see him. Unfortunately, mm. you guys don't. Maybe you heard it in his voice, um, but I can tell you, he was emotional. Yeah, I, I love how he um, he took that on the chin. You know, he he took that accolade and 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 us appreciating him, but then went on to you know appreciate the others that helped him do it. You know, whether they were the big influence or, or the indirect influence you know like um and even the perfect game you know mark behind the dish jared martin at first you know um that shows the true character of of the person eh? and um yeah special yeah yeah you're dead right yeah true true gentleman of the game uh played it the right way played to win and and he's not ashamed to say that either right he played the game to win he coaches the game to win yeah, well, that, that's exactly how he put it. Um, he's there to win, but what was the what was the thing? He he, um, he hates losing more than he loves winning. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And that shows his drive, right? Yeah. Uh, the reason why he gets out of bed in the morning, hits the gym, hits the road, whatever the case is, or studies the what's required to be to be a better athlete, or be a better mm. coach, or be a better person. And uh, as he talks about it, he's still developing himself. Uh, Absolutely, this part of his career, and um, that's impressive uh, to know. And I, I tell you what, I, I um, I've met him a couple of times, only just briefly to be fair. But I really like to sp- sit down and spend some time with him. Uh, um, and so maybe a trip, one trips, one of the trips to the states, love to go out there and visit them and, and see their program and 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 see what see what he does. But uh, yeah, another Kiwi that's just trailblazing, man. It's awesome. Absolutely. Man. I said in uh, yeah, season one, man, I'll say it in season two. Beyond the dugout, on the road. Let's go to the States, mate. Let's yeah. go. Let's do it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Budget's got to get higher now. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, any sponsors out there, more than welcome. <laughs> as long as it's not Air Asia. All right. Okay. Not, okay. <laughs> Drop his jaw into the line. There's two things. One, don't know if the plane's going to get there. And two, there's no way I'm going to fit in that seat. <laughs> I'm not saying nothing. Okay. <laughs> I'll right. leave that one there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I really, really enjoyed my quote. Yeah, man. And I enjoy being back. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I said, man, um, you know, season one was getting to know these people a bit more. Um, yeah. You know, um, and I think over the last few years, I've definitely learned the history of the game that I, I, I missed while I was away from it. But, um, you know, sitting down with um, the perfecto, you know, like you like you said about um, with Mike Wire, it's um, it just yeah, it's giving me giving me that edge again, mate. Um, not the one you've got, but um, you know, the, oh, wow. <laughs> no, the one to be back and and um, bring the bring what we do to the to the people and um, showcase the amazing people that we've got in our game. It sure is, dude, and that's the great thing. That's why we do it, dude. Absolutely, showcase the great things about our uh, fantastic game. I um want to remind everyone that this podcast is your podcast it's not Damien and I's um, well wait a minute I pay the bills for it but no no yeah we uh, do but we, it is and we do have bills for it <laughs> it, it solely is uh, your podcast so you know whatever you want 
throw us a message, comment, um, throw us a message, whatever works for you, and we'll look to make it happen. Uh, whether it's a, a guest or the style, or you might have an idea around a segment or something like that. Or you want us to come to your club and set up and do it. Yeah. May I sit there in season one? Uh, we were lucky enough to sit in the bar in, in Auckland. Uh, to do that, the Wairo, and um, yeah, that hopefully was that was that was cool. A couple of interviews in, in a couple of days, um, but yeah, no, mate, I'd love to go out to a club, man, and set up. You know, I love clubs, um, sports clubs, the all the history on the wall and, and stuff like that. So I think I think we we try and make that happen this time. I think we'll definitely grab an episode around the ICs coming up oh, shortly uh, with a, with an athlete over there um, and running, them, running amongst it. Um, but yeah, whoever you want, you line it up. And because I already said that we had Jared Martin in season one, kind of let out of the bag. We have him coming up soon. <laughs> I would never, never correct you during it, but I did give you the look. Didn't yeah. I? Like, what are you talking about, bro? I was like, why did I get wrong there? I can tell. As as I tell you, I tell you what, be real cool, mate. You know, just yeah. since you since you've thrown that out there, and now I've got my brain ticking. The the five remaining pilgrims are going to be at the World Series at the end of the year. That would be cool. How cool would that be? Nineteen sixty six, the very first World Series. Wow, I've got that photo in the office. Yeah. Did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah you've been really digging cool. up the archives, mate. I love my job, yeah. man. Going through all the yeah. all the stories. How's that, how's that been going, man? Yeah. Hat Valley softball, right in there. Right in there. Yeah, I mean. Um, no, I love it, bro. I love it. Like, I knew at the start of last season, doing all the stuff behind the scenes for TP, um, that I wanted to work in the sport. Yeah. Um, and now i got my chance, and now I'm with Hutt Valley, and yeah, I've been I've been running amok um, in the storage room, man. Like, um, I'm pretty sure I found um, uniforms that I wore, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all the old trophies, all the old history, and yeah, I dug up all the, all the photos, and one of the special ones that I found was uh, the 1966 Black Sox team that went to um, went to the, uh, the very first World Series. Um, suited and booted, Blazer. caps, yeah, yeah. Ma- amazing. Um, Bring that back, I say. Absolutely, absolutely. But um, what's special about it is that it's not just a photo. It's signed by all the original, all wow. original signatures. Um, and I sent it to Tony Giles and... And he said there's only five of them remaining and they're all going to be at the World Series at the yeah. la- later on in, um, at Rosedale. So. You know what, that'd be great to sit down and have them in like a group one. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Of course, we'll both be busy when it comes to the World Cup. We're going to put our um, uh, finger caps on how we could uh, uh, maybe grab some of this content and, and, and great conversation. Uh, in and around the World Cup. Of course, we're going to do a series going into the World Cup. We'll Absolutely. ramp it up a bit, to be honest with you. Th- we're thinking also, uh, what, what do you guys think about us doing some video as well? So we're thinking about maybe throwing a bit of that in. Of course, with the broadcast stuff, we do that all the time. So, Well, that's how we, we did connect, is um, yep. commentating through uh, ballpark broadcasting and the, the streaming that we've done over the years. So... Mate, the office is always set up with the GoPros. It's just a just a tricky thing, you know, making sure the levels are there and then getting yeah. the video as well. But um, 
We do have the technology. We do friend. indeed. Like, we like do. for the, for you for you just to give you a little insight behind the scenes, when we interview our friends that are uh, not here in New Zealand. Uh, we do it over Zoom and we have them on big screen. And I've got a big screen. Yeah, the big screen's here. They can see us, yeah. we can see them, and, and it makes it so much easier like you're in person. It's not just like a computer screen, it's a way bigger t- yeah, television yeah, yeah. type. Um, and oh, we don't half ass stuff. <laughs> no <yeah>. way. <laughs> no, you don't. So it does make it cool, though. Eh? Yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah. There you go, buddy. There you go. Are we back? I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. I love it. That was my worst attempt in American accent. Oh, man. <laughs> Are we talking about your American accent? No, we're not. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. You'll hear it at the World Cup later on. Ah, okay. <laughs> no, it's in New Zealand. We're all good. Don't worry. And it's not going to be on Maldi TV. Oh, so. mate. When you're around Americans, oh, my God, you change. I got no. Nah, Maldi TV killed a good too. <laughs> oh, oh and then you get to Oregon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Woo, oh, man. There you go. Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Yep, you know what you call it? Episode 36, season two. Back, baby, back. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight on Beyond the Dugout, every fortnight, Friday night. Tune in, lock it in. We're with you. We're back with you. Let's have some fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you, people. Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fam Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Beyond the dugout Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout.